Hi, everybody. Welcome to Demystifying the Expert, a show where comedians attempt to discover what a scientist or a professor does all day. The plan is for you to laugh and learn about cutting-edge science and more, one expert at a time. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge the support of the Madison Trust Fund in the person of Mr. Edward H. Rice, the College of Science and Mathematics, and the Department of Physics and Astronomy, all from the James Madison University. This program is made possible thanks to your generous support. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Um, a few words, not too many, because we do want to demystify his background and what he does, what he loves uh, about his expertise. Um, he pursued graduate work, I'm not going to say in what, at Yale University. <laughs> I know they read the ad for this event, just like everybody else, so they will not know more than us about the expert. Before that, he worked for um, a bit more than uh, five years with uh, one of the NASA's greatest observatories, the Chandra Space Telescope. Uh, that might give off some of his expertise. I doubt it, though. Um, and uh, I would like to add uh, Chanel Verani. He is a, uh, an extremely avid, if those words can go together, uh, educator, and his dedication for promoting science to the public has been rewarded um, by the honor of being named uh, NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador for two years in a row, which is not something you know many people or astronomers can be uh, proud of. And we have with us the new and improved is uh, James Madison only improvisational group, as far as uh, uh, I know, at least that's what they told me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have been successfully bringing laughs to the JMU community since last century. It's that old, 1998, I think, was when they started. They have performed multiple shows every semester in TDU. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> as well as perform in other JMU organizations, venues in the Harrisonburg community. We are going to introduce one by one now, okay? So we have Amanda Azalone. Anzalone. Anzalone, <laughs> all right. So Amanda says she's a junior in media and arts design with, major with, double, with double majors in business French and creative writing, AKA creative and arts having nothing to do with science. So that being said, she feels 100% confident in this in tonight's program. The second of the four comedians, panelists of today is Trevor Knickerbocker, who is a, a senior intelligence analysis major at JMU. <laughs> um, and uh, he says he took quantum mechanics class for fun, although we did not have him in our quantum mechanics class at, in our department. So you believe whatever you want about his <laughs> skills in quantum <laughs> mechanics, or it remains to see whether that's I read the Wikipedia anything. page. <laughs> <laughs> that was about a quantum car. We also have, uh, surprise, surprise, a uh, sophomore who's a physics major, but he's only a sophomore. You should not expect that much of him. <laughs> Alan Chen, who politely asks you to remember that physics is not astronomy. 
which is actually, I mean, I'm an astronomer. I can tell you which is what, which way is up. Physicists are not astronomers, but astronomers are always physicists. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, the last one is Mikhail Falasli. Did I say yeah. it right? That was pretty close, yeah. Okay, so he's a senior business major, and he says that the only science he knows is the science of making money. Keep an eye uh, on him. That's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Now, because there will be many questions from the panelists to the expert, we're actually going to start the floor, or open the, the floor, with giving the chance to our expert to ask a question, or two or four, to the comedians. Anything. Oh, me? Yes. yes. Ask them. Yeah. Remember, you're the expert for tonight. Anything. <laughs> uh, you're putting me on the spot? Okay. <laughs> of course, that is... Um, what is this all about? So what makes you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'll fill this one first. Uh, I really love not knowing anything about anything. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to show people that I'm clueless about certain things. Did you guys do any preparation for this? And if so, what? We actually forgot our script, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I already I, broke the rule. And it's going to be, the whole show is going to be a series of games and games and games. And we're going to start with game number one, which is <laughs> a series of questions. We'll see how many from the panelists to the expert with which they need to figure out what the expertise of the expert is about. The questions can be answered by the expert only by yes and no. And it's going to be a contest. Whoever has more yes Wins. answers wins. I mean, we're going to add the points later on. There will be more games. So, uh, Take it fire away. it up. <laughs> I'll start. I'll ask for an easy yes. <clears throat> so, on the flyer it said something about astronomy. Uh, so, are you a type of astronomer? Yes. Write down those points. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. It's, if you were at a cocktail party and someone asked you what kind of line of work you're in, could you exclaim to infinity and beyond and be totally serious? Yes. <laughs> okay, so if you were a real estate agent and houses were stars or planets, would you be more interested in what's inside the house or where the house is located? Wow. Yes or, no. or would you be oh, more interested no. in what's inside the house yes or no. as opposed to where the house is located? Yes or no. no. Okay. <laughs> Do you take pictures? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> He's just take, wondering. I'll write that down. <laughs> it's just to get yes, right, that you asked this one? Hmm? It's just to get an a, a yes that you asked this one. I don't know. I'll keep my motives <laughs> He's myself. about the points. <laughs> I'm competing. <laughs> okay. Um, are, uh, are the studies that you do, uh, do they stay inside our solar system? No. No. Are they five light years away? <laughs> At least. At least? Yes. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Is it safe to assume it's a. See it's, what at least can do yes. to your total <laughs> number of points? 
it is safe to assume what you study is within the observable universe. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Does it have anything to do with black holes? Yes. Ooh. Does it have everything to do with black holes? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Does it involve parallel universes? No. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is science. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I will not ask time for um, If uh, someone at a party, if you were to tell someone at a party that you, uh, of your line of work, it's a popular question to follow, have you ever seen an alien? <laughs> mm. Unfortunately, yes. That was a real yes. Okay. Oh, okay, so um, does it have to do with discovering life on other planets? No. Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> do you Although that would be cool. It would be cool. Do you study the things that fly into black holes? Fly into? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's everything in space. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're learning. We're all learning here. <laughs> Do you study, does your, do your studies um, specifically involve um, the elements that can be found in space? The elements? What do you mean by elements? I don't know, it's That's space. space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Rocks. You know, elements. Rocks. <laughs> yeah, big yeah. ones. <laughs> Carbon's out there, right? Right, people? Carbon hides <laughs> in it. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, do you, do you, um, I didn't think about this question. Uh, do you, do you um, incorporate gravity and theories of gravity a lot in your studies? Uh, no, not specifically. It's a, a, not a yes or no. It's a no, it's a no. It's it's a no. A we no. need to keep yeah. balance here. <laughs> Are you attempting to harness the power of a black hole no. and, use, and use it? And if so, can you tell us how? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Yeah, are, are we getting close? Are we getting any closer? Yeah, hot Do you or cold? A hint? Yes. Do you have a hint for us? You give him a hint, because I'll, I'll give it away. <laughs> That's um, also fine. <laughs> Do you see all of the black holes that are out there? And you don't have to answer to me with yes or no. Use that to give them a hint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do all the astrophysicists see those, all of the black no. holes? Ah. Okay. Ah. So. Ah. Uh, do you use words? Yeah. <laughs> speechless. Okay. Okay. Um, do you study uh, the properties surrounding or indicating a black hole? Yes. Okay. Um, do you work to categorize black holes? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's not. <laughs> so that's not it then. It's not just black holes. You're not just the neighbor of every black hole. <laughs> it's hard with yes and no. Should we shift to different kind of questions? Would you have um, some that do not? I think we're kind of balanced in terms of points. We can use some more points later. Floor is open for different kind of questions. Okay. With more. So no, no, no That's right. Assessment. Okay, good. That's okay. right. They do not need to be answered by yes or no. Okay. This one actually is still yes or no. Um, 
do you work to um, observe the effect of black holes on space? Yes. Okay. Should I put a point? Does your work challenge Einstein's theory of relativity? No. No. Okay. Yet. <laughs> yes and no. No, oh, we're oh. on the uh, yes or no, right? Oh. How, how does how does how does quantum physics work in relativity? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to know too. <laughs> Interesting. Um, do you do you study only black holes that are have already been formed? Yes. Oh my goodness. I think it's so, a bit of help, right? Why is a black hole black and? Why is a black hole a hole? <laughs> <laughs> so a black hole is something you cannot see, which makes this work very difficult, trying to find something you cannot see. So we infer its existence based on other properties. Maybe it's tug on nearby stars. That's the best evidence for the existence of supermassive black holes. Well, that's what they ought to ask. <laughs> what is that? Uh, okay. <laughs> what is that? So the black holes that we know how to form from first principles, meaning going on the board, write some equations, see where it goes. The only black holes we know how to form from those basic first principles are the ones that come at the end of massive stars that exhaust their fuel and explode in a fantastic explosion, producing a black hole at the center. These things have masses, maybe about 10 times the mass of our sun. So, so these supermassive are much bigger than 10, hence supermassive. Do you study neutron stars? No. Do you so, study specifically black holes as a result of the... The explosion from stars? Yes. No. Okay. Oh, man. I'm trying to remember. So all I've said so far is that there are two types of super... There are two types of black holes, right? They're ones that come from stellar endpoints, and then there are these other super massive black holes. I'll tell you their masses. I'll give you a range of masses. These masses. Why didn't they guess? Okay. Okay. How big? So what is? So this is astronomy, right? We we call the explosion of space and time the Big Bang. So you know we're not want for adjectives. So supermassive. What do you think supermassive would be? Million zillion, about a million zillion. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's an exact yeah, Roughly, number. roughly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ballpark. On the vicinity up to infinity and beyond. Uh, uh, they range in size from maybe a few million to as as large as uh, a few billion times the mass of the sun. And you're focused on supermassive as opposed Correct. to regular black holes. Right. Okay. So where are these in space? You're asking me. Or you want, you're asking them? You're the expert, Shania. <laughs> here I'm, I'm, I'm helping them. They, they need to... Supermassive black holes are uh, in galaxies. And you want me to tell them where? No. Okay, so they are in galaxies. But you said, helped by my questions, that you are able, because you're an expert on this, you're able to see all of them. I'd say the majority. Okay, all of them. <laughs> while other kinds of astronomers don't see all of them. Right. So um, it might follow that you're looking through, you're, you're using a different method to see these black holes than, than the normal astronomy. Not method, different wavelength. Well, okay. Okay. they are black. So, How do you see them? Are you, do you, when, when, when something hits the event horizon of a black hole, is it split in half? That's Hawking radiation. <laughs> That's not what we're observing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Oops. Take your hands. <laughs> Take your hands. Take your palms. Let's do all of us. All of us. Yeah, all mm-hmm. of you. You can do this. Mm-hmm. Rub them. What do you feel? Warm. Okay, stop. Let them cool down a little bit. Now take them, rub them together, and go at the speed of light. Or close to it. <laughs> you don't want to see me do that. going to age faster? <laughs> <laughs> the, well, it depends on the frame of reference. In, in that, it's not uh, <laughs> uh, So what happened there in that experiment when you went really fast? Time slowed down. No. It only feels like that for you. <laughs> Sharper. <laughs> what happened to your palms? They got hotter. They, they got up. hotter. Okay. So I said, now imagine you're going near the speed of light. And if it did, how much heat do you think would be generated? Uh, an infinite amount of heat. Uh, no. <laughs> heat times speed of light. Millions of degrees Kelvin. Okay. Hot. Okay. okay. So uh, that energy that's generated is preferentially at high energies. And so the best way then to find these super massive black holes that are black, <laughs> that lurk in galaxies, then, well, I said that already, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that lurk in galaxies is um, by looking at a particular wavelength of light. And what uh, Anka is getting at is that if you relied on just what your eyes could see, you would miss a large fraction of them. Ultraviolet or radio? Um, or another one that I don't know of. Yeah. <laughs> is it a ladder? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the study of black holes through the wavelength that he did not know. Yes. <laughs> what wavelength is that? You, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. You tell him. <laughs> you tell him. You know it. Infrared? No, other way. Gamma. Close. Infrared. Yes. Gamma rays, x rays, right answer. Gamma. Delta. Oh, it is? Yes. <laughs> I We're knew learning. that. We're learning. We're <laughs> learning. What was it? Gamma rays. Don't you remember Superman? Superman yes. is x ray vision. Mm-hmm. Ah. Right? X ray vision allows him to see everything. Do you study Superman? Okay, okay, <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Chanel, before we, uh, we, we move on, on to the next game, which is going to help us learn even more, um, when you say you're going to meet the President of the United States on the elevator on your way mm-hmm. out of this event, uh, you're going to have, you know, floor three, two, one, time to tell him what is it that you love the most to do scientifically? And try speaking? to get money to the planetarium. <laughs> Raise the stakes. <laughs> okay, but that's not the role I'm in tonight. <laughs> that's not, but we're thinking that might help shed more light onto. Okay, so you want me to tell what I would really say? Yes, yeah. Uh, I'd love to have money to improve science education. No, you need to tell him about your expertise. My so. expertise. Yeah. But that gives away everything. I know, I know. It's okay. That's okay? Yes. That's okay. okay. At this point, that's okay. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> we're going to get into details anyway. Okay, so we're getting into details. So I study the supermassive black holes that lurk at the center of every galaxy. And over the last 10 years, we now know that every galaxy hosts supermassive black hole. Uh, black holes, these supermassive black holes, 
Um, and even the stellar ones, you know, were, um, came out of Einstein's theory of general relativity. They were mathematical constructs ignored for, I'd say, several decades. It's in the last 10, 15 years with the Hubble Space Telescope, the Chandra X-ray Observatory, that we've got the definitive evidence that they exist. Yes, they're black, but we know they're out there. And what we're trying to do now is to understand what comes first, the black hole or the galaxy that it hosts, that is hosted, uh, that, that hosts the black hole. Uh, what observations are now telling us is that there's an intimate connection between how galaxies form and assemble and evolve with time and these black holes, these supermassive black holes that lurk at the centers. And we don't have a clue. Nor do we have a clue how these black holes, well, that's not true. We have ideas. We have ideas. We don't have a, a model. We don't have a definitive model. And, you know, we have a hypotheses for how they grow. We have an evolving model. Yeah. Hence, we don't know. <laughs> we have ideas. Again, the only black holes we know to affirm for first principles are the ones that come from stellar endpoints. How you get these millions to billion mass black holes, we have ideas, but they're ideas. Um, they you know, still need to follow the scientific method. So understanding how you, go, how you get these black holes to be as large as they are, understanding the influence on the galaxies that, are, uh, that they inhabit, and understanding that connection is the fundamental clue to tell us how galaxies form and evolve, and we'd love to know how that happens. Um. Are we on first floor? One. He <laughs> uh, might have chosen to listen to the very end. Um, that remains, that's an, another evolving model. We're going to have to you know, test it somehow, but yeah. Um, before, we're going to have a little break so you can freshen up, because then we're going to have a series of games. One more question from a host. And then, I mean, maybe if, if that sparkles some more questions from from the panelists uh, bit. Um, so strong astrophysicists like yourself study properties of the black holes. What does that have to do with us? Uh, in every day? Mm -hmm. Why should we care? Why should you care? Um, why you should care about science more fundamentally is that when we study the universe, when we study what's out there, we develop skill sets, technology even, that allows us to study out there, but then has daily import to our everyday lives. The cell phone that you have, that I have, has more technology than put man on the moon on 19, in 1969. The size of the computer that was probably used probably occupied the volume of this room. There's 128 gigabytes of data storage on this phone. All of that, at some result, can be traced down to basic, uh, to basic research, basic science. So the moment you start putting blinders on what people do, I think that's when the civilization ends. But I guess what I'm after. Would we be here if, you know... If there was no science? If there was no black hole out there? Would we be here? Yeah, sure, we'd be. I mean, oh, you mean as human beings? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you meant, like, just hanging out. Yeah, we're sure, hanging out. More philosophical than that. Uh, no, um, and in fact, you know, the, the first elements on the periodic table well, what are the first elements on the periodic table? What are the first, what's the first element? Hydrogen. What's the second one? Moron. What's the third Oxygen. one? Okay, that's where astronomy stops. <laughs> <laughs> because everything else from there comes from the centers of massive stars, or stars in general, but um, uh, massive stars that explode primarily, but the winds of other stars also help contribute. So the carbon in base life form that we are, the oxygen that we breathe, the iron in our blood, all the stuff that the tables, the chairs, the carpet, this room is made up of, these atoms can be traced to the centers of stars 
that have exhausted their fuel supply and their core and then have, ex and then have exploded in a violent explosion. Um, maybe that violent explosion causes new stars to form. Maybe planets form around those new stars, enriching the stuff. Maybe life takes place on those planets, on one of those planets, enriching that stuff. And we know that happened at least once. Awesome. Comedians? Uh, yeah. Um, now, when you say, like, you um, earlier you said that, like, others in your field may disagree on your findings and they may have different numbers. What is the point of disagreement that you guys are fuzzy about? Uh, th the point of disagreement is have we seen all the black holes? Are there a population of black holes that we've missed? And you're saying yes, we've seen them all. Um, I'm saying we have. Uh -huh. uh, and that to a large degree, to a large degree. Um, and so X-rays and gamma rays, that's why you were right, are, are perfectly suited to find uh, the centers of, or to find these black holes and look at the centers of the galaxies. So when you rub your hands and it got very hot, these temperatures uh, in around a black hole, the material that falls in that you asked earlier is called the accretion disk. It's like a pancake-like structure of material. That material, like the water around your drain this morning when you took a shower, inevitably funnels into that drain. This material will inevitably funnel into the black hole. And when we see, what we see with X-ray telescopes is not the black hole per se, it's the material that's swirling around, right? And the midst of being swallowed. And so there, you know, we, we uh, so we're probing extreme physics. This is an extreme environment where you've got massive objects. So you asked about Einstein's theory of general relativity. These are regimes in which you can test Einstein's theory of relativity in the strong limit around where you've got strong gravitational fields. And we now, and by doing so, we now have even evidence in the last few years uh, that these black holes, in fact, are rotating rotating very quickly. And by doing so, there's all kinds of exotic physics now that uh, we're able to test in the vicinity of around these supermassive black holes, what happens to space and time in that vicinity. And so we know that Einstein's theory of relativity is wrong. That's not, you know, that's not On a record. groundbreaking statement, I hope, <laughs> On anyway. On said here first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know Einstein's theory of relativity, and the reason why we can say that, again, it works fantastically well on the larger scales, on the clusters, you know, scale clusters of galaxies. Galaxies themselves, gravity is the dominant force. Everywhere we've tested Einstein's theory of general relativity, it's passed, passed with flying colors. Yet on the smallest scales, we know that quantum mechanics reigns supreme. These two theories do not talk to each other, right? So on the smallest scales, Einstein's theory of relativity has nothing to say. On the larger scales, quantum mechanics has nothing to say. What we think is that nature has one set of laws that governs the dynamics and the evolution of the universe. And on the largest scales, you get relativity, Einstein's theory of gravity. And on the smallest scales... You get cats in boxes. <laughs> yeah. It's turtles all the ways down, all the way down. Uh, no, you get, you get, you oh, get quantum mechanics. And, and so what, what we're trying to do as scientists, as physicists, both in the particle physics, you know, they've got their experiments over in Geneva, underneath Geneva, or at the Large Hadron Collider that's trying to shed light there, is to come up what that and to elucidate what that one overall arcing theory of nature is. The quest. The quest. <laughs> it's the holy grail of physics. So there are four fundamental laws. We've done three of them. So let me start. We're going to ask you guys to answer. So we, I'll, I'll name who is going to answer the first one, and then Anka will do the same for the uh, next one, and so on. So that's how it's, it's going to work. 
Okay, let me see. I want, uh, I want uh, Mikhail to answer the first one. Uh, you often hear Chanil talking about AGN often. when talking <laughs> about black holes in galaxies, right? So what is, the most what is he most probably talking about for alternatives, okay? It's multiple choice. Excellent. To make it easier. I've been practicing for four years. Okay. <laughs> Number one, AGN, all right? Advanced Galilean neutrons. Number two, aperture globular neutrino. Number three, active galactic nuclei. Number four, anti-gravitational nucleons. Uh, the third one sounds kind of like some te old techno band or something. <laughs> um. There is a band. Muse, actually, they have a song, Supermassive Black Hole. I don't know if you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, could you repeat the, the second one? The second one says, Aperture Globular Neutrino. AGM. I will go with that one. <laughs> okay. Sounds like an Oompa Loompa song. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's check with our expert. Is AGN a, an aperture globular neutrino? No. <laughs> well, is it, it might be up for debate, right? <laughs> no. Your intuition was right. It was three. You should have gone with the band. <laughs> but it's not a band. Uh, active galactic... Not yet. Yeah, not, not yet. yet. There you go. There you go. Active galactic nuclei is a bad naming convention, AGN abbreviated, uh, that refer to these cores and galaxies that are active, hence A, G because they're in galaxies, right? Nucleus because they're at the core. So AGN, active galactic nuclei, are these cores of galaxies that are fantastically bright. So and yeah, go ahead. Do you walk around just saying that to your... Hey, AGN, how you doing? AGN. At a conference, oh yeah. <laughs> hey, oh like yeah. AGN. Do you like AGN? No, it's what's, what AGN are you studying? <laughs> that sounds like the worst pickup line. Yeah. <laughs> Dems, fight. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. We're astronomers, we're up there. <laughs> Ready for the next one? Always. <laughs> Amanda. Yes. What is a galaxy? And we have four alternatives. Okay, this is an easy one. It's that place a long, long time ago where Star Wars took place? Or is it a hitchhiker trying to find the meaning of it all? Or is it an enormous collection of stars, planets, gas, dust, all gravitationally bound together? Or a tasty chocolate bar? I was gonna ask where the chocolate was because I was gonna go with E, Milky Way chocolate, but I think logically I have to go with C because it's the only one with big science words in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the other side of the coin. If I get bored in the middle of the sentence, then I know it's the right answer. <laughs> Can you guess what the key word is there? Uh, stars. Was star and. <laughs> you want me to read that? Yes. Yeah, read it again. Yes. Now that you know what the right answer is. Enormous collections of stars, planets, gas, and dust all gravitationally bound together. Collection? Bound. <laughs> bound together. Very Yes, gravity, of course, again, is the dominant force on larger scales. And gravity is what binds the stars, the gas, the dust, the planets uh, together to form this, this larger collection called a galaxy. So we live in a galaxy, right? 
which you knew from the chocolate bar, um, <laughs> called, the Mil <laughs> called the Milky Way. The Milky Way galaxy is a large spiral galaxy. Um, and you know, what I'm telling you, we've only known the last 100 years. You know, the Greeks had no idea about any of this, or the Egyptians for that matter. Uh, so the, we live in a spiral galaxy, large spiral galaxy, home to more than 100 billion stars. And what we've now known in the last three years, 100 billion, that ought to impress you. Impresses me. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Okay, but now we think the multiplicity of planets is five times for every star. Meaning, we think on average, every star hosts five planets. So if you thought the number of stars in a galaxy was already astronomically big. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Didn't work. Now we're cooking with <laughs> The number of planets in our galaxy is even bigger. And remember, our galaxy is literally one of tens, hundreds of billions of galaxies in the observable universe. And tens and hundreds is not the number you should remember. It's the billions. The billions. Tens and hundreds and billions. And there, there was never at any point in history one guy, one guy who was like, no, no, you got to hear me out. There's this. Like, you and like, yeah, like, did he? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. So, you know, the, this idea that there are external universes. And so what does that mean? It means, and, and in, this, in this older Renaissance concept, Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, did think that there were uh, islands, external island universes. Uh, and that was an idea. Like right? a lost? Huh? Like a like lost. Like a lost, yeah. 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 Uh, so this was an idea. Really what instigated all of this, however, was in the 1920s when Edwin Hubble, for whom the Hubble Space Telescope is named after, uh, is using, was using the 100-inch Hooker Telescope atop Mount Wilson, which is outside of Pasadena, California. And, which is the largest telescope at the time, and was for a large, large number of years. And Los Angeles in the 20s is not Los Angeles today. You know, it actually was dark. <laughs> so that's why that telescope was there, because you're going, why is there a telescope in Pasadena, California? Because it you know, wasn't the bad light pollution as it is now. So he's using this telescope, and he's finding these stars in these fuzzy objects. And this actually led to a great debate in the 20s, and it's called the Great Debate in Astronomy. Are these fuzzy patches that he sees inside of our galaxy, the Milky Way, or are they external to it? And if they're external to it, what does that mean? Right? And so this was a big debate that's called the, the Shapley-Curtis debate, where named after the, the two proponents of either side. And Hubble, what Hubble was finding was that, what Hubble did find that resolved the debate, is that the distances to these fuzzy patches were enormous. Enormously large. What's enormous? Well, the size of our spiral galaxy, Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across. Now, what does that mean? Well, what does a light year mean? How long it takes extra credit? The last um, name. <laughs> I say this because if you watch Star Wars, you're going to get this wrong. So, you know, George Lucas got this wrong in Star Wars. And if you don't want to see him talking about it, look up when uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi go to the bar in Tatooine and ask for passage out of that system. And Han Solo says, you've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? It did whatever, whatever in 12 parsecs. It's like saying I did the Boston Marathon in 10 miles. You know, it's, it doesn't do make that. any sense. <laughs> Just real quick, what's your uh, midi-chlorian midi score? <laughs> Are you a Jedi? <laughs> Be honest. No. <laughs> uh, well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's 100,000 light years across. So 
you know, you're at one end because you went to college. And so that means your parents are the other end because you wanted to get as far away from them as you could, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that means you're at one end of the galaxy. Mom is at the other end of the galaxy. Mom's, of course, sending you text messages wanting to find out what you're doing. It takes 100,000 years for that text message to get from here to here. It takes another 100,000 years to get from here to here to reply. Wait, does he never respond? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the reason why it's so far away. Yeah, exactly. That's our galaxy. Is that why they call it Star-Crossed Lovers? Because, like, they... Well, it's kind of sad because the other one's dead. But, like... like, well, like it even makes sense that it's a Star-Crossed Lover. <laughs> right. So, the galaxy is 100,000 light years across. Right? And so, he was finding distances to these fuzzy patches that were much larger than that, order of millions of light years away. So this now meant that the distance scale for what we observe, for what we see, was enormous. It is enormous. And of course, what's happened since is we've gone from millions to now 14 billion years. Not years. How, how, I can barely count past 10 with my socks on. How, <laughs> uh, that's a fact. Uh, how, are you supposed to, how am I supposed to understand such a big number? Uh, you can't. It's hard. Okay. <laughs> um, for instance, the mass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, these numbers are astronomically big. Yeah, like right? how many pens? Yeah. Be? <laughs> or scientific notation. But no, it's challenging, right? Um, and it goes both ways. In astronomy, we deal with things that are very big. Um, when you're looking at the structure of the atom, those size scales are very small, right? So there, the, quest, the same question holds. We don't experience the very big. We don't experience the very small. We experience this, <laughs> right? So how do you put this in perspective? So the mass of the sun is 2 times 10 to the 30 kilograms. Right. Okay. Does that make any sense to you? What does that mean? What does 10 to the 30 mean? 10 times 30, no. 30. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I haven't taken you haven't, taken your, you haven't taken your cluster threes, what you're telling me. I have not. That yeah, there true. you go. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one hey, followed. <laughs> one followed by 30 zeros, right? Now, still, that is fantastically big because, again, you don't really have a sense of how big that is. Now, maybe you have a sense of the size of the Earth. Well, the size of the Earth, what's the mass of the Earth? The mass of the Earth is 10 to the 24 kilograms. So it's a million times smaller than the sun. Even still, these numbers are really incomprehensible. So even in astronomy, we have a hard time understanding sizes, masses. So when I said that these supermassive black holes that lurk at the centers of galaxies, notice I, what unit I used. I said times the mass of the sun. Because we know, we have an idea of what the sun is, is a star. We know its mass, 2 times 10 to the 30 kilograms. But then when you're talking about something that's even a billion times bigger than that, you've lost. You know, those numbers are big. You can't even fathom. You can't yeah. even fathom, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But then to talk about, okay, this is an object, a million, maybe a few billion times the mass of our sun. And it occupies a volume of space roughly the size of our solar system. So in our solar system, we have one star, weighs two times 10 to the 30 kilograms, one sun. At the center of our own Milky Way, we know there exists an object that weighs four million times, roughly, the, the mass the of the sun. The creamy nougat center. That's exactly right. <laughs> the peanut core, right? Yeah. So after we all so many Snickers large bars. objects, let's go to a short question. And the question is for Trevor. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's right. That was a huge tangent. What is a photon? Four alternatives. A really small photo <laughs> taken with your smartphone. A particle of light. 
Number three, torpedoes used on Star Trek. Number four, long sought particle that explains dark matter. It's, it's, a, tr it's a trick question. Last one threw me off. Is it a trick question? It's Vietnamese soup. I've had it. It's really good. It's really good. Do you, can you get that over at the SSC? Yeah, you can. You can. Oh. It's a punch. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, what was B? It was a, a particle of light. B, a particle of light. I'm not sure how, I'm, how much I like that, because it can be a wavelength, can it? Yeah, do you see particles light? Yeah, prove balls it. Balls in your court, expert. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it'll be this, Batman. But, 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 can you choose? Yeah, but you haven't chosen. Oh, yeah, I'm going with B. Okay, but that's right. You have to tell us why. Yeah, why, why, is it a why is it a particle of light? Not so easy. Uh, foe. Uh, like faux leather, fake. Uh, <laughs> ton, ton, metric ton, is not light. So a fake metric ton, light. Math checks that out. That makes perfect sense. Math checks out. <laughs> so light actually is again one of these ideas that is is also kind of fuzzy because it does act like a particle in some cases, and it does act like a wave in some cases, right? So light has this weird duality with it. Depending on the experiment that you've constructed, sometimes light shows up or behaves like a wave. Sometimes it behaves like a bullet, a little marble. Is it like a 50-50 <laughs> thing? Like, or can you like influence can... it or like? Light is something. Sometimes. Yeah, but it's not that it's 50-50. Uh -huh. It's that depending on how the experiment is set up, you get phenomena that's consistent with wave-like behavior. You get phenomena that's as associated with particle-like behavior. What that's telling you is that light is weird, right? That's not very yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 Are you bullies? <laughs> but as an astronomer, that's all we have, right? I'm. You know, unlike a, a biologist or a chemist or, or Mr. Bubbles here, Dr. Bubbles, um, <laughs> you know, uh, who has a lab and can go and, you know, construct, manipulate variables, observe and see the effect of changing one thing on one of his devices. As an astronomer, all we do is collect light. That's all we can do. Um, but with that, you know, you get this wealth of information. So what is light? It's a particle of light. So with all this being said, we have one left without uh, Alan. Mm. Alan, what is a QSO? A what? <laughs> a QSO, and I'll give you four alternatives. One, is that a dog from uh, Never Ending Story? <laughs> Two, an appetizer, a Quaker steak and lube? Let's go with Quasar instead of QSO, because I. Oh, Quaker, Quasar. Yeah. You, you kind of give it up. <laughs> Three, Quasar. an incredibly bright galaxy core, or four, a powerful wizard you don't want to mess with. <laughs> uh, quasar. What's a quasar? One of these. Wizard is a very strong, like, pack. It's not <laughs> just, just any wizard. It's a powerful uh -huh. wizard you don't want to mess with. So yeah, if no, you don't no, choose no, that answer, there will be gray. It's not a powerful wizard. I know gray, that. So, like, it's white, probably C. Yeah. C. No, that's in the third one. It's Gandalf the Grey, Gandalf the White, then it's Quasar. That's in the Gandalf the Quasar. What do you think that Quasar is? What uh, was in that C answer? The, the word galaxy. It's something with the galaxy. <laughs> yes. Right? Expert yeah. in. Yes. So quasars, um, which initially came up through this lexicon of QSO, quasi-stellar, uh, QSO. 
object. There we go. QSO, quasi-stellar object. And again, it's reflecting how these things were discovered. They were primarily discovered in the radio, so low energy, long wavelength end of the light spectrum. And so what you saw are things in these images that look like stars. You look at it, you take a photograph of it, it looks like a star, but it's not a star. You can take the light, you can split up into its rainbow of colors, that's called taking its spectrum, and it doesn't look like any star you've ever seen. So hence the name QSO, or quasars. And Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage. He looks like a star, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the, in the 60s, this was... Um, the late 50s, early 60s, this was a big astronomical, astrophysical problem. What are quasars? And in fact, it was a Caltech astronomer. His name is Martin Schmidt. And the reason why he's really famous is because they actually put his face on the cover of Time magazine when this paper came out. I mean, when was the last time you saw an astronomer on the cover of Time magazine? Like eight years. <laughs> At least. It's probably. <laughs> Six years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when the last time there's been a physicist on the cover of Time magazine. But anyway, he, uh, he was a physicist at Caltech, looked at the light spectrum, and now recognized that, ah, if these lines are shifted because of the Doppler effect, right, moving away, then maybe this lines up with what I think a galaxy ought to behave. But you're just seeing the brightest core. So what he, brightest part, brightest center part of, the, of these galaxies. So what, what happened then as a result in the 60s is now the distance scale becomes even larger, much, much, much further past than even what Hubble was observing. How'd they find that out? So again, serendipitous. This was a radio survey done by Cambridge University, the real one, not the fake one, mm -hmm. in, in Boston, or outside <laughs> of Boston. Um, it's okay, I worked there for five years, I can say that. Um, you know, so... Um, they did a survey of the sky, and so they found these objects, and they have very cute names, like the third Cambridge radio catalog, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Big phone numbers. That is adorable. Yeah. The more, them up. the more and more you go on, like, it gets fleshed out about, like, what you did with working with, like, the telescopes and, like, having all that kind of stuff. And then in Boston, it just sounds more and more like, like, deadliest catch or, like, wicked tune. Like, everyone has their own telescope and, like... You, have, you name your telescope, you have your crew, oh. and then like everyone else's crew is against they snap you. snap when they yeah, walk exactly. <laughs> like, your pictures are wrong, and like, you sabotage their lenses. That's such a nice description of what an astronomer's life is. Is it cutthroat like that? is a human endeavor. Really? It has humans involved. All the attributes that humans have apply to astronomers. Good to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's that? Replace <laughs> yeah. all the humans with robots. Ask Quasar. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's go to the next question. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Can right. I this? Actually, the last, the last in, uh, in this game, a quiz, right? And uh, it's for the whole team, the panelists. Um, so, you probably remember I said at the beginning, Shanil uh, worked, he just reminded us, reminded us, with the Chandra. X-ray telescope, one of the greatest NASA observatories for a while. And now the question is, the Chandra X-ray telescope takes its name from, we have alternative one. Number one, an Indian Hindu deity who was known for abilities to reconcile threesome of three other three powerful gods, Brahma as creator, Vishnu as preserver or protector, and Shiva as destroyer or judge, also known as the moon god, Two. Everyone got that? Hint. 
Possibly. Number two. <laughs> uh, your neighbor Nobel Prize winning Indian American astrophysicist named Subramanian Chandrasekhar. Or number three, the young pyromaster of the magic, the gathering famous road wide gam, who has the ability to see through pretty much everything, kind of like what the x-rays are able to do. Or four. <laughs> I can't tell if third was like a real or like trick thing. <laughs> four, the name of a NASA administrator who was very special, did more for science than perhaps any other government government official. And could he see through anything as well? <laughs> uh, could we don't want to go part there. Of, part the of their powers, I don't know. <laughs> he abuses powers. So here's a hint, this is where your um, rule doesn't apply. Well, it will not work. Yes. Go with the long, Got windy oh, okay. explanation will not <laughs> lead okay. you. I don't want to think it's the last one because I don't know, I don't... Why would someone name something after themselves when that's Are what- Are you saying that's impossible? <laughs> <laughs> someone naming something after themselves? Never been done before. The expert, are you gonna tell us something about it? So the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope is called the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, to be launched in 2018, and it's named after a NASA administrator. Wow. <laughs> Did he name her after himself? I thought you couldn't do that. He didn't name it after himself. <laughs> I tried been, to name so oh many things after See, because... Did anyone fight him on that? Like, <laughs> I vote to... to name it me. <laughs> <laughs> like... Every restaurant I walk into, I demand what I'm eating to be renamed after myself. And I always say no. So, I always no, you just say I work for story, NASA. And I don't know what the story is. It's, it's disappointing <laughs> that someone would name something after themselves when they have the opportunity to but name... But he's not alive. He's dead, yeah. Oh. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> oh. Everything retracted about, like, any... No, but if you're gonna name But nevertheless, <laughs> you know, he's an administrator. I mean, okay, I'm not trying to be pejorative now about administrators, but, you know, he's a... Um, he's, he's, uh, administrators in the office? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> My phone's going off the tweeting admin. Yeah. Uh, no, he, you know, he was a, a NASA bureaucrat. Okay. Okay. Yeah, by ha yeah. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen, right? <laughs> Eddie Van Halen. Except he was not dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Okay, I, answers. So what, what's the answer? <laughs> Who was that Chandra? Or, you know, after which a telescope, a space telescope that's observing X-rays emitting by a variety of things in the universe named? So with your SAT approach, you've already eliminated A and D, and D a, yeah. B, or no, yeah, A and D. Yeah. Oh. Andy, there's no Wait, we eliminated A? Why did we eliminate it's A? Super long. <laughs> it's too long. It's too long. Right? That was your rule. Well, your rule would have said pick A, but I'm saying... Exactly. I, I told you at the beginning, don't pick A now because this question violates your rule. So we should go with the shortest one, which is B. Whatever the answer <laughs> That's what was. he wants to say. <laughs> Whatever the question was. I was just yeah. counting the words, yeah. Which I do on, on most of my tests, and my grades are abysmal. Uh, when in doubt, Charlie out. <laughs> so it wasn't just anybody. It was a Nobel Prize astro winning winner, uh, astrophysicist. The expert might want to tell us something. So he, is, he was uh, uh, an Indian American for whom uh, the Chandra X-ray Observatory is named after. His last name is Chandra Sekar. He went by Chandra, short form. 
Um, that was what his colleagues called him. He won uh, the Nobel Prize in Physics for discovering something called the Chandrasekhar limit. And this is a mass number that of which you exceed, you've got detonation of a star and it forms a black hole. Now, what's really interesting about him and this work that he did is that this research was done while on a boat <laughs> from oh. India to Cambridge. Again, the real one, not was the he fake just one. Bored? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was probably in economy, mm -hmm. so I probably didn't want to shut the five bucks of the earphones or whatever it is. <laughs> So he said, I'm going to do some physics. Change yeah. the world. Yeah, for a couple weeks, yeah. because that's how long it takes, or took, and that time. So yeah, the research that he did was what happens. So stars, you know, what is a star? Stars are uh, objects that are in balance. You've got gravity wanting to crush in and, and, and blow this thing inwards. You've got energy being produced in the center through nuclear fusion. And stars are just in this cosmic balance between energy going out and gravity pushing in. So what happens when this balance is disrupted? i.e., what happens when the fuel is run out at the core? Well, gravity wins. Gravity always inevitably wins. And so this thing crushes in. And so what he was interested and curious about is, you know, what is that number through which you can't get other exotic physics ideas to prevent this collapse from occurring? And he came up with 1.4 times the mass of the sun. So an object that weighs more than roughly one and a half times the sun when it runs out of its core and the star falls in, there's nothing to prevent from the black hole forming. How, how do you get to a number like that? It's not like oh, measure, yeah. oh, that one, uh, that one, we'll average uh, yeah, something I, together. I thought it was about a tip and just to give you more flavor of, you know, what it means. It's still true, you know, to be a scientist. Um, he did not just dream about it. He yeah. was uh, a trivial set of calculations. Mm -hmm. he, he was, was a theorist. That, so. He was not that he actually yeah. He probably finalized, uh, you know, a certain amount of work that he was work doing for quite a few years. And he was a grad student or an undergrad, actually, so he was, was very young. But he was very aware of the importance of that result, and he wrote to one of the uh, great figures, astronomers at the time, Sir Eddington, uh, about the result. He, sh you know, sent him a preprint of this paper he was about to write or to send for publication. And, and Sir Eddington, the, the greatest astrophysicist at the time, dismissed it completely. He said, it's rubbish. This can't be happening, right? And then a few tens of years after that, Chandra Sekhar got the Nobel Prize for that discovery. Mm. But this limit is a consequence of the equations that he was playing with from Einstein's theory of relativity. This was a theoretically derived number. Oh, OK. Do you ever do any of your studies on boats? <laughs> yeah, our boat's good for study. Uh, Should I get a boat? I, uh, you know, but I ought to. That's a great. Is that where my tuition money's going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, astronomers are want to put telescopes in Hawaii, and there's a reason because it's in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> Spacing a mountain. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> But maybe there's no, some no, there's some logic here. We should take boats to get to Hawaii. That'd be nice. I'd like that. Yeah. Hold on, I need to crunch some numbers. Hold my Corona. <laughs> yeah. On this cruise to Hawaii, <laughs> it's the only way I know how to get to Hawaii. <laughs> well, Hawaii because the volcanoes, I imagine. Unless you're completely joking. Because don't you need to look at things from really high up? Yes, I'm not joking. There <laughs> are no Hawaii. <laughs> um, and so not only is it that they're high up, Mauna Kea is something like 14,000 feet above 
above sea level. So uh, it's very high. It's above you know a large or good fraction in the atmosphere. So you're above that turbulence from which we experience as weather for most of the time. And it's clear, something like 330 out of 365 nights a year. So uh, if you're going to build, you're going to spend a lot of money, invest a lot of money in building infrastructure and a experiment that allows you to see you know the edge of the universe as it were. You want to go somewhere where a it's dark, b it's clear most of the time, and you could get to it. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is isolated volcano island base. Yeah. So Baiting how sheets. often do you run into like doomsday supervillain ideas <laughs> on a daily basis? Like any day I can flip this switch and the x-ray beam will destroy a city. So the last James Bond movie, the last James Bond movie was filmed at the Very Large Telescope, which is in the Atacama Desert Is in that the Chile. scientific name of the telescope? The Atacama. Very big telescope. No, the name of the telescope, I'm not kidding, is called the Very Large Telescope. Was it named yeah. after the astronomer? Yeah. Wait, are you being serious? Yeah, it's called the Very Large are you Telescope. Are running out of words? <laughs> Look, the universe is called the Big Bang. There's a thing called a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thesaurus. At least the thesaurus. Uh, we're in science because we didn't want to take those. those uh... <laughs> but it's called the Very Large Telescope, and they filmed some of these doomsday scenarios at that telescope for that film. Uh -huh. So that when they, where this big telescope explodes, that's the 10 meter VLT. Very large telescope. It's everyone... not really exploding. <laughs> uh, Does everyone have like a monologue, like ready at like their drawer to like just <laughs> <say> <laughs> and, like, their like walk on the guardrail and like pace around? So that's interesting. Why do you think that scientists are bent on world destruction? I mean, when... because they want one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're always asking for money and like. You know. Yeah, but it's not to go to Hawaii. It's to do research. <laughs> it's to hire students. <laughs> no, no. Okay, coming from. Like a perspective, yeah. Sorry. And it's only a fraction of what governments spend to. Well, that's a good yeah, question. How true. much does NASA get? You know, you want to take it away and, and do I don't know what you want to do. Um, but what is yeah? How much? So if the if the U.S. and I actually have a dollar, maybe somewhere. You're gonna give them a prize for that. What? I will fight. Give a twenty. That. It works better with a I'm a, I'm a faculty member. <laughs> you have more of those than I. This is the U.S. budget. What, fra <laughs> what fraction of this $1 bill goes to NASA? One-tenth of a penny. <laughs> they did the research. <laughs> so that's good, because Neil deGrasse Tyson's very good. Um, you know, that was, was I right? Close. Half oh. a penny. Oh. Half a penny on this dollar. Half oh, a penny on this dollar, right, goes to NASA. Um, and that's not just Chandra. That's everything. That's Hubble, that's Spitzer, which is an infrared-based telescope, still functioning, still operating, still returning fantastic data. It's Chandra. It's the ground-based telescope. It's the thousands of engineers and scientists, some of whom put a $2.5 billion robot inside of a crater on Mars. <laughs> but, like, correct me if I'm... Oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. I just wanted to point out, it was just the other week. No, right? Curiosity got there in August 2012. Maven got there the other week. Okay. With the yeah. Indian one, right? Well, and the Indian one. Okay. Um, so, but it actually comes back to this other question, right? Because she asked at the beginning, why do you care? Why should we do this? And that's interesting, you said India. So you knew that India has a, uh, a robot or a spacecraft that's at Mars, right? Yeah. China has plans to go to the moon. China has plans to go to Mars. Mm -hmm. So does India, right? Mm -hmm. Why are they doing this? 
Because they know that if they go to the moon and harness the power of the cheese, <laughs> that they will be able to make a cheese store that will support their budget so that they will not have to only have a half of a penny. They can, right. so they'll be self-supporting with it, their it's cheese. It's true that lunar cheese is out of this world. Uh, uh, <laughs> but this story is age old. It's one of exploration. It's who we are. It's what we do. We explore. And we've been doing this since we came out of a cave. So why do we do it? Because that's what we do. Now, in the in the throes of doing that, you discover, you develop technology that allows you to get there, but also maybe helps uh, detect breast cancer, which has happened. Or, you know, LASIK is another example, but, I'm, you know, whatever. All right, all right, all right. So now a real challenge, a real challenge for our expert, which the game is called Rapid Fire Questions to the Expert. He's not a rapid answerer, right? <laughs> and through the rapid fire questions, well, we're going to learn a bit about uh, your childhood and what, oh, your, what got you into studying <laughs> black holes and x-raying them. All right, so rapid, rapid answers. Okay. Uh, where were you born? Penticton, British Columbia. Favorite animal? Dog. What did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. Favorite ice cream flavor? Black raspberry. Do you speak French? Canadian French. May <laughs> we? <laughs> <laughs> Favorite color? Uh, um, navy. Yeah. Are you attr attracted to black holes? <laughs> <laughs> Gravitationally, sure. <laughs> Favorite activity as a child? Hockey. All right. Do I you have Canadian. a nickname? No. That's a weird nickname. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where's the center of the universe? Uh, <laughs> uh, center of the universe uh, in Sagittarius. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, it's the center of our galaxy. <laughs> Why don't you say the truth? We don't know where the center of the universe. There is no center. What is Nunavut? <laughs> Nunavut. Uh, it's a new territory in Canada. <laughs> the 13th. Well, I guess it's not a province, but whatever. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So Obviously who, not. Who would you choose as a partner to dance in an episode of Dancing with the Stars? Oh my God. <laughs> who would I choose as a partner? Quick question. Uh, quick answers. Well, I don't know who I would choose. <laughs> Anka. There you go. <laughs> See, if you push, press someone to answer, they're gonna get what you want from them. <laughs> Who's your favorite uh, astronomer? Oh, Carl Sagan. Why? Because he's fantastic. Should we believe in astrology or horoscope? No. <laughs> Would you sign up to be in the first team of explorers to go to Mars? In a heartbeat. Awesome. Do black holes have hair? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm so not going there. I'm not, not going there? OK, I'm not going to talk about their hair do either. Right. OK. Uh, Maybe the last one, and then, and then we're just gonna open up the floor for a Q&A from everybody, one at a time. But before that, if you'd like people to know something about black holes and galaxies, or x-rays, what would that be? Uh, black holes, that are the centers of every galaxy, and we don't know why they're there, and we don't know the role they play, and how galaxies evolve. X-ray is a detail, it's a tool. That's what we use to find them. Um, 
Uh, it's not the x-rays you get when you go to the dentist. We have to go to space to observe x-rays, but we've only been able to do that in the last two decades. And with New Star, which is the next generation x-ray telescope, we are indeed finding all of them. Awesome. So, we want to see your Any hands questions? up. Can we ask yeah. questions? Of course. <laughs> can, we field, can we field questions? <laughs> of course. Please do. Because I've actually been conning you the whole time. I know way more than this guy about this stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Big reveal. Well, why, why is uh, the government so reluctant to fund uh, space research, space exploration? Because how do you get elected in four years by doing that when the time scales are much longer than four? You also live in a country where science is a liberal conspiracy, right? It's a, a Facebook meme I saw recently. Um, and this is why events like these are really important, is um, we have a big disconnect in this country between people who understand science know science, know how it's done, and people who don't or may abuse it. When you hear words like climate change, revolution, these are controversial ideas on television, in newspapers. They're not controversial scientific ideas. And so what is dangerous is that you have people that don't know science. And we have science at our fingertips every instant of our lives. Um, and so it is really important that not only we continue to fund science um, at, and more than what we do, it's always going to be the case, but that we need to get more kids into science. We need to get more young girls and, and boys interested in science and engineering. And that's a big problem. So we need a scienti scientifically literate electorate body. If we could do that, yes. Yeah. That'd be it's, fantastic. It's a big mm -hmm. if. Yes. <laughs> Could Earth be sucked into a black hole? If so, would we feel it? Okay, so if you were to take our sun right now, take it away, and you put a black hole at the center with the same mass as our sun, 2 times 10 to the 30 kilograms, would the Earth, would you get sucked into it? Yes. Why? Because gravity. Oh, the same mass though. Ah, that's, that's bonus points here. Oh, no. <laughs> I told you, I know more than you do. Yeah, she does know. Yeah, I, that, and that was a critical sentence, part of the sentence, the same mass, right? It's like a trick question, though. No, it's not a trick question. <laughs> that's what the students say. <laughs> it's physics. Um, you know, the same mass, you know, why does the Earth, why do the planets go around the sun? There's a gravitational force exerted on it. And that force varies with mass, it varies with distance. But if you just change, if, I, if you change the object, but the mass and the distance are all the same, the force is the same, nothing happens. Now, okay, it's cold. <laughs> because you've got, yeah, <laughs> you've lost your energy source. And maybe we're not here to have this conversation. But do you get pulled into the black hole? No. Could Earth get pulled into a black hole? Could? Sure, anything's possible. How many doomsday <laughs> theories do you Is have? Is it likely? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yes, sir. Um, what happens to all the stuff that gets sucked into the black hole? Does it go somewhere, or does it just kind of circle around? Or? Repeat the question, because we want the people OK, so the question them. is, what happens once the material is, enters the black hole? And the answer is, I wish I knew. Um, we know that a black hole is there from its influence on nearby stars. That's the best evidence we have in the center of our galaxy. We have evidence for other objects in nearby galaxies that also behave in this kind of Keplerian law. Now, that sounds fancy, but Kepler was 
scientists in the 17th century. So this is old science, right? It's old, uh, old stuff that he's figured out, uh, that was figured out then. And what does that mean is that means the, these things are orbiting something that's very dark. So we know that there's a black hole there. Now, I tell you that because we know what happens on the outside. What happens on the inside, we don't have the first clue. All of our laws of nature break down the moment you enter the event horizon. So we don't know what happens. We think there's a singularity at the very center, but all that means is, is putting a name on our ignorance. We don't know what happens. Now, this is where science fiction then begins, right? Because you often see this exploited, especially on Star Trek or Star Wars. You need to get away from the Klingons. So you have to find some getaway. Well, let's go on a wormhole or whatever <laughs> as a getaway. We don't know what happens inside of a black hole. So that's a great, yeah, okay, so the, the question is why should there be one unifying, single, solitary idea that governs this? And because this is an empirical result. You know, initially we had a lot of different, different forces that would be invoked to explain maybe electricity or maybe magnetism. And then what happened in the 18th century is that these two forces that were thought to be uh, separate and distinct were the same, and we call it electromagnetism. And so now we know of four fundamental forces, right? There's the electromagnetism, there's the strong and weak nuclear force, the, the strong nuclear force for keeping nuclei, nuclei together, weak nuclear force for radioactive decay, and then gravity on the larger scales. And what's happened over the last three, four decades is that three of these forces have been unified, meaning you can see how they're a consequence of some larger picture. So it's nature that's driving this conversation. This is the pattern we're seeing. A great example of this kind of unifying pattern is exactly this idea of Einstein's theory of special relativity and this kind of Newtonian physics. You know, what happens when you're traveling at the kind of speeds that we travel at? Because again, that's the universe, that's the, that's what the physical world that we experience. And so um, Einstein, or sorry, Newtonian mechanics, Newtonian physics is a result of Einstein's theory of special relativity. Once you impose this criteria that the speeds you're traveling at are much less than the speed of light, you get back that, that old 18th century idea. And so this is the expectation. And we're on that way. As I said, we have four fundamental uh, forces. Three of them have been unified. The one, that, the one that has so far been stubborn is gravity. And so, of course, the word that you heard earlier is this idea of quantum gravity. And, and that's, the, you know, that's the holy grail. Another question yeah. here? Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or any black hole. Oh, this is brilliant. Okay. Huh? Yeah, repeat the question. So when are we sending our, entre, uh, our intrepid JMU student uh, to, or me, <laughs> thank you uh, for the volunteer. I don't want to go. <laughs> to, uh, I'll, I'll go to Mars, a black hole. Well, maybe, who knows. Um, you know, when are we going to do this? And so this is, this is a, a great question. So imagine that you could build a Curiosity, right, a rover. You send it to a black hole. What defines this outer boundary of a black hole? It's something called the event horizon. Uh, objects beyond that distance can escape from it. Light could escape from it, for instance. At that boundary precisely, the escape speed. So when we launch rockets to Mars, we have to escape the pull of gravity from Earth. And that's a number that's about 10 kilometers per second. That's the speed that we have to launch things at to escape the pull of gravity. Anything less, it's coming back back. It's coming back down. 
So the speed that you would need to launch something from the, uh, the event horizon, that boundary of a black hole, is identically the speed of light. Inside, greater than. So you could take that rover, maybe find a way to get in the event horizon. For us as a, observers here on Earth, we would never see it enter the event horizon. So there's those kind of challenges that happen, right? But even from the frame of reference of you on the spacecraft entering the black hole, what are you going to do? What are you going to send? You're going to send me photos, right? You're going to send me uh, your position, your speed, what you're seeing. That's all information. That information, the fastest it can travel at is C, the speed of light. So it doesn't have the speed necessary to escape the pull of the black hole. I will never find out what you tell me. There are more questions here? So this is for the video, not for everyone. Got it. Um, okay. I'm really interested in the idea that we're all like disparate elements of stars that have exploded. Um, because I, I've always wanted to be a star myself. So um, you're it, made of it, star stuff. Would you it be are valid star, for me to to validate my own <laughs> wanting of being a star with? You already were, Logan. Yeah. You already were. Is yeah. that something that I can say to myself? Is that? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So my scientific hero. That's a resume builder. Uh, yeah. I'm a star. Yeah. <laughs> so my scientific hero when I was a child was Carl Sagan. And what he was uh, uh, quoted as saying often is we're all made of star stuff. And that's exactly this idea, that all the heavy elements, and astronomy, heavy elements it means anything beyond lithium. <laughs> that's what a heavy element is. Uh, so everything beyond lithium, uh, which is element three, uh, uh, is furnished, as I said, in the centers of these stars. Um, and so yes, you're made of star stuff. We all are. Hi. Hi. I heard you mention something about a photon torpedo. <laughs> and so I didn't understand anything else, but I know that photon torpedoes are in development. I read an article about it on BuzzFeed. So I was just And you saw it on Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just wondering how this is happening. When can I buy one? <laughs> and who do I need to bribe? So uh, <laughs> it should be a star app. <laughs> so I'm sure it's classified, so you can't. And I'm sure it's expensive, so you can't get it at Walmart. President. Of the universe. Fund the new observatory. <laughs> the very the extremely large observatory. But you know, there's a serious <laughs> bent to that question, and that is that science fiction, while fiction, often has been the inspiration for a lot of development that flip, once... Flip phones, right? Star Trek and flip phones? Sure. I think that's true. Yeah, transponder, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> helicopters, submarines. Uh, so, you know, it's not far-fetched. I don't know anything about this research, but I'm not surprised. So you're saying that over time, if we were in space, we would all develop British accents, scientifically. <laughs> sure. Okay. Do you have a side... Do you have a side gig selling like posters of your pictures at like festivals or something like that? Me? Yeah. Why would you want a picture of me? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, because you're made of star stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm star stuff too. Yeah. You... No, um, just like pictures that you take of like nebulae. Yeah. Nebulae. Oh yeah. Well, not I have not taken, but if you do, you know that you, your university has a planetarium. I I can't help. Sorry. 
Wow, fantastic. Yes. Okay. Well, yes is always the right answer. So just say you've been there. That's fantastic. Uh, documentary. What? Oh. <laughs> it started with long ago. Time oh. Time. <laughs> okay. So it's a two million dollar state of the art planetarium. It's the only one in the world like it. It's on your campus. You should come check us out. Outside the hallway is now a series of photographs. They actually weren't taken by me. They're actually taken by a sophomore student in SMAD who works at the planetarium of astrophotography that he's taken, both from on campus showing again all the enormous light pollution that we have. Um, we have to look through that when we're at a star parties. Is he a better photographer or a better SMAD <laughs> yeah, he's just all around good. Wait, do they do they color those those photographs? I've always wondered this. Yeah, you mean you okay. mean is it enhanced? Okay, enhanced. Yeah, so the photos that you'll see in the planetarium, well, you got to be careful, right? There's always some level of enhancement. You have to reduce, no, you have to take out noise or systematic effects in the data. So yes, that happens. But the real question is, would my eye see what you're saying that I see in the film? And so a lot of these photos are long exposures, long meaning maybe 30 seconds, or in some cases maybe about a minute. We have some star trails showing you that the fact that the Earth does indeed rotate. Here's the evidence for it. Um, and so, you know, those aren't something your eyes would see because your eye doesn't expose the nighttime sky for seconds, right? It takes like a, you know, a nanosecond between, between frames that your brain reads out. Uh, but those are great places to go, and I encourage you to do that. They're beautiful images. Have you noticed that other nebulae have developed negative body issues with all the photoshopping and editing done to these? <laughs> <laughs> There's now a lobby been started. Um, it's a concern, but we're ignoring them. One last question, one last question. Yeah. There you go. Um, did you have a favorite science teacher or science class when you were little that made you even more interested in science than you already were? That's a great question. No. Uh, no. Uh, in fact, I went into physics despite my physics teacher, who was an ass. There's uh, great hope. Yeah. No, my favorite class in, in high school was English. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was my favorite class. I enjoyed going to it, but I, you know, that still didn't mean I didn't want to become an astronaut. <laughs> well, we are coming to the end of our uh, conversation here with our expert. So we, what we would like to, get, to, to do now is give an opportunity for our panelists to say something that they learned from today's discussion. Okay. Um, One at a time, please. I think the main thing I'm going to take away from this today, the main thing that I'll tell people that I learned today, was that uh, most of astronomy's equations are run on boats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, are we going in line? Oh, me. Okay. Um, I think people your name, so because you're star stuff and also famous because you're a comedian. Yes, obviously. Um, um, I think what I learned is that if I ever want to go to Hawaii, I can say that I am studying something and no one can deny that. <laughs> Get a grant for it. Yeah. See, I've learned that once you run out of administrators, you just start naming things as they look like. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna be like really, really incredulous about everything. Like, I don't know about that. You know, I don't, I've heard otherwise. <laughs> about black holes or anything like that, but my everything's theory. <laughs> everything's up in the air. Okay, but see, now you hold the whole other can of words. The way you use theory in that sentence is not the way theory is used in science. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'll own up to that. <laughs> so black holes can shake your social network. A theory in science has a very specific meaning and actually has enormous amounts of evidence to support it. So we all, and that's again coming back to this idea. Um, you know, we use the word like the, uh, we use the word like theory in our colloquial everyday parlance. Uh, that we think it means something, but in science it means something very specific. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same thing that we use in our everyday mm -hmm. language. Just like speed and velocity don't mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. And literally. I literally died <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> literally. <laughs> all right, folks, that's about all the time we had for tonight's event. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for coming. There is uh, another JMU's Demystifying the Expert event in November, more precisely 6th of November, also Thursday. Two more with two different experts on, uh, in uh, spring uh, semester. So keep an eye on our announcements. Like uh, Facebook, like us on Facebook. So the JMU's, the Planetarium has a Facebook. The Physics and Astronomy has a Facebook. Uh, Am I, the comedians have a Facebook account, so like them, and they will let you know when is our next event. You're not going to find out much about the expert. You're going to find much about the expert and about the expertise while you attend the show. I also wanted to tell you that we've been infiltrated with some other comedians from the troupe, and they are Logan Brown. <laughs> I figured I <laughs> carry the two of you. Oh, then they're sitting together. I bet that Shelby Imes. <laughs> All right. All right. So thank you again. <laughs>